So Google's bloodiest update in a long time just finished rolling out with a lot of people reporting large traffic losses to platforms like Quora, LinkedIn or Reddit whose head of SEO is probably up for a juicy Christmas bonus. And in my opinion, this update is a direct response from Google to the flood of generic AI content that's been swarming the index in the last year. I don't think Google did a very good job at singling out AI spammers and a lot of unintended casualties seem to have happened. A lot of bloggers who are legitimate seem to have lost large amounts of traffic. But the reason it was so intense and all at once is probably because Google themselves are struggling to keep up with the amount of content being produced by AI today. They basically had to slam their fist on the table and signal that this is not the kind of content that they want to promote because, hey, it's their plan with SGE. How dare you steal their tactics? No, but seriously, all this stuff ties up to the question we're asking ourselves in today's episode. After all the hype, what do people who want to build a legitimate website and brand use AI for, really? And I'm not talking about hypey Twitter threads or clickbait YouTube videos that will teach you how to do full keyword research with AI when AI has no search data, no competitive data whatsoever. I don't know a single legitimate SEO that would ever do that. But it seems that people are willing to accept that when it's done by AI. They accept standards of work that they would never accept from a human because it's cheap and it's fast. And that paints the picture of a scalable AI machine that gets a lot of people excited because it's very difficult to do with humans. But it's a slippery slope because if you start accepting lower quality work because it's done by AI, it's a matter of months until your site looks like something that Google doesn't want to promote anymore. And this is why we haven't used AI for mass content production on our websites. But we still use AI for several processes and we are open to the idea of using it provided the quality of work doesn't drop. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in today's episode with Mark. We're going to walk you through the workflows and the workflows where we have integrated AI and removed it later because it wasn't good enough or it wasn't a big productivity gain. I also have a quick but very important announcement to make. This week, for the last time this year, we are launching Authority Hacker Pro. It's our most complete and advanced training program and it includes a ton of new training and updates like the EEAT blueprint that has helped several members recover in the last HTU and core updates using what's taught in a blueprint. There's also a bunch of new AI automations, lessons and prompts that we've added in our brand new AI section, including but not limited to several of the processes that we mentioned in this podcast. And we've also documented the journey of dozens of pro members that have used the training to literally sometimes make millions of dollars. And you can find all the information, everything that's new, all the case studies on the Authority Hacker Pro page on authorityhacker.com pro. But don't wait too long because we're only open for a short amount of time. Before we get started, a quick thanks to today's sponsor, Audis.Global. The marketplace where you can buy and sell age domain. But more on that later. For now, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about AI, how we actually use it after the fact, after the hype, etc. And you'll see that our opinion has changed quite a bit and it's going to be quite interesting. But one thing that hasn't changed is that we're going to be making sure that Mark's doing okay. So how's it going, Mark? Surprise, I have an answer for you. Oh. It's, it's been interesting, this whole AI development, because even if you are very anti-AI, you don't think it's kind of quite there yet, you're, you're not using it. I think the process of coming up with a, a good solid prompt forces you to internalize and really think through your processes for content creation, link building, keyword research, whatever. And you can learn a lot from people's prompts based on that, even if you're not using them for AI purposes. So if you're not interested in AI, keep watching the show 
because we're going to go and explore some of those in more detail as well. I still don't know how you're doing, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just my general viewpoint on AI. It's like, I, feel like, uh, I feel like I just like, like, hey, how are you? And you just tell me your life story, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, you ask every week, so. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. So, I mean, I'm fine. Uh, but, but <laughs> okay. One other update, in case you didn't know, for those of you watching on YouTube, there has been a development. The kids' <laughs> wall oh, design yeah. that I had before has, has gone. And it's been been replaced. So here we go. Maxwell is going through different life stages. You know, it's like you went from like kids' room to now. I'm an adult. Treat me like an adult room. You know, like I have a plant. Please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's good. Okay. Anyway, let's talk about AI. Let's talk about. But before we jump on AI, I just wanted to make a to do a quick call on the recent Google updates. There's been two updates. There's been a core update and there's been a helpful content update rolling out. There's lots of things happening as we're recording. It's really hard to like give an analysis or something because things are not even finished. But we see a lot of swings. One of the things that we've noticed is like lots of UGC sites are gaining lots of visibility. So like Quora, Reddit, etc. But also I've noticed several blogs that have very active comment sections have done quite okay, which is an interesting one. I think it needs to be observed on more sites to like be like that's a thing. But that's something that I have on my notes at least. Another thing I want to say is like a lot of people are not very happy with the current updates. Not just niche site owners, but people just like on Twitter, etc. just saying Google search are crap, etc. So I would say there's a partial ch a chance of a partial rollback. They've done that quite a bit in a recent helpful content updates where like like six weeks later, there's like another mini update that rolls back lots of stuff. Can't really comment more on that, but just we know that's happening. We keep an eye on this and we'll talk about that when things are a little bit more stable. Hold on to your seats and then take a deep breath if your site's being affected. And now let's talk about AI basically. So let's talk about AI. How much do you use AI every day? Did you ever use AI more? Like, did, is, was there a point where you used it more and it just yeah, went back when down? Yeah, when it first came out, I used it a lot more and then I stopped using it. Not entirely, but for a lot of management stuff, like it's it's not actually that that relevant. Some of the tools, transcription and things like that, very, very handy. But day to day for like asking questions, giving it prompts, things like things like that. Honestly, not all that much. Yeah. Okay. Personally, I've used it quite a bit less as well. I, it's like I don't know if if I'm getting smarter or AI is getting dumber. But there's a feel of like it felt very edgy when GPT-4 came out, etc. And it feels like the answers I've been getting recently have been getting worse and worse. So I don't know if they like boost the models when they release them to get the PR and then save on money or something like this. I think it's more like people have had time to digest what it's actually saying and what it's actually giving you. And when you look into it, it's not always all that it's cracked up to be. For example, you we're doing some AI content creation experiments. You gave us in the content department at authorityhacker.com some of the those articles. You're like, what do you think of this? And initially, you have a quick scan through it and like, oh, this is super well written. It covers all these points. But actually, when we put it through the full editorial, and bear in mind, we have super, super high standards for this. It's like, yeah, we're probably going to have to start from scratch with this because there's just a lot of holes in it and contradictory statements and things like that. I mean, it can, AI can help in the content creation, but like this was like a one click AI content creator. I think this was a surfer AI article actually that we post. It didn't do well as well. Like I think you ranked number 50 or something. Our content team, so our editorial team, they are using it quite a lot, but not, not to make a whole article. It's more if there's a section which has three things they need to, to write about, they'll get ideas for it or they'll maybe re rewrite a section to explain it more clearly to or to include a point that was missed or, or something like that. So it's more on a kind of 
really ta- um, minute level that they're doing it rather than to create like a whole sections or whole articles. Yeah, I feel like the sites that create, it's like, we'll see what, what comes out of the current Google updates, but like, I feel like the sites that just try to just generate full articles at this point, it's not the best quality. And you can you can do content, like we have a blueprint on AI content creation, but it's very much AI assisted content creation in the sense that like, you are here in every step. Like there's a big, and we'll talk a little bit about this in this podcast of like, you spend quite a bit of time outlining with the help of AI, but you do input as well quite a lot. And then you edit every single step that AI does so that you make sure it doesn't go astray, unlike a one-click article generator where it's like, press a button, get an article. Everyone wants to sell you that dream of press a button, get a perfect article because who doesn't love a, a silver bullet to solve that's all the, the content thing. issues? I, I feel like SEOs never liked content creation and that's kind of like the perfect excuse to like not care about it anymore for a lot of people. Like for a lot of people, like content creation is just the necessary evil to get the traffic they want to get rather than like something they actually care about doing a good job at. Like they don't really care about the user, they just care about the conversions, the sales, etc. So it's like, and it's like for a lot of people, it's just the perfect excuse. And because they don't spend the time actually getting into, digging into the content, reading it, really trying to the questions is it really helpful etc like they don't see it because ai does a very good job at like masquerading a bunch of bullshit into something that sounds very smart and structured you know and so that's the thing i guess that's kind of us saying like we're not huge fans of like full content creation with ai but we still use it for some stuff so i think let's jump into the uses that we have for it and one of my favorite uses actually is for keyword research in niches where I'm not necessarily an expert myself. So uh, what I like to do is I like to have AI essentially come up with technical terms for any given niche. So we're going to put a screenshot on the screen of a ChatGPT thing I've done, where the prompt was like, act as an aquarium expert. I'm running a site for home aquarium enthusiasts, and I want to brainstorm a list of terms related to industry to create content around them. I'm looking for technical terms, obscure terms, jargons, or anything someone not into the industry may not know about. I put the list of the keywords as a table, along with a short definition of what they are. And so then I got a bunch of like interesting keywords, like alkalinity, alkalinity sorry, brackish, which I don't know what it is, is chiller, the pH, I mean, this I knew, but like an overflow box, basically, which is like something to like catch the, the water or something. But a, a lot of things that gave me keywords, but like I'm not going to write an article for these. Then I take these keywords and I throw them in a keyword tool like Ahrefs, SEMrush, SE ranking, whatever you want. And then based on that, based on that seed keyword, I get a lot of keywords that I would not necessarily have gotten if I just typed aquarium into Ahrefs, for example. And so that helps me find this kind of like long tail keywords and also essentially brainstorm topical authority topics that I should be covering if I want to essentially be seen as an authority on the topic of aquariums, even though I'm not an expert. And so like that is very handy. I like to use it for keyword research. One thing I do not like to use it, it for in terms of keyword research is actually giving me actual keyword ideas because it has no idea what's ranking currently on Google. It has no idea what the search volumes are, etc. And a lot of people advertise a lot of prompts on doing keyword research with it. I'm not a fan at all. I, I just feel like that any keyword tool is going to do a better job because it will have like more tangible data than, than any AI model will have. And so my recommendation is to not follow these people, but like in terms of seed keyword research, this is really, really useful. And you'll find lots of long tail keywords using the prompt that I've just shared, actually. I quite like it. So is this your current keyword research process? Do you always use AI to generate these, it's these one terms of them. or just sometimes? It's one of them. It's like main way of finding keywords is still finding sites that are doing well and reverse engineering their keywords. Like it's, I don't think you can beat that because essentially you get real life data of Google telling you 
here's a low authority site that ranks for a bunch of keywords. Take these. Still my favorite way of finding keywords. I still think most SEOs do keyword research that way. And then again, like even with the best suggest, for example, like which is pretty cheap, you can do a decent job at that. You don't necessarily need a $300 plan a month on, on Ahrefs for people who complain about the pricing. But I think what this allows you to do, these kind of like seed keyword thing is like, it allows you to dodge the competition rather than, because obviously when you put a site and then you reverse engineer the keywords, you know they're in front of you and they've been established for a while. They might have been accumulating links to these pages, etc., for a while. Whereas quite often it's like, for example, when we were like one of the case study sites that we sold on the site like a few years ago, the software site, I dodged the competition. I found keywords that nobody was covering. And so that's how we took that site really, really quickly to uh, meet five figures a month or something. And so that tactic will allow you to do that because it will find very obscure niche random keywords. And, and quite often, I would suggest writing about a lot of these, even though they don't show a ton of search volume because the keyword tools that tend to not be very good at, at capturing these like middle search volume keywords, etc. And so one of my things that I quite like doing on new sites now to both establish uh, the topic of the site, but also cover these things is to actually build a glossary for the site. So like building a glossary section for a site, it's something that you might see on WP Beginner, for example. And it's like WP Beginner, they have a, like, they talk about WordPress. So, you know, they have a page on like, what is a tag? What is a category? What is a URL slug? What is all of that, et cetera. But it's like, imagine that for Aquarium with all the keywords that I gave you, you could do that. The first version of this, this is where like AI content generation might not be too bad. If you just want to make a page that defines what something is, I think AI might not do a terrible job at making a first draft of it. And then maybe you add some examples, images, stuff like that, like edit it a bit and, and make it a bit more practical. I think you have a shot at, establishing these things, capturing some long tail traffic that your competition may not have done and establish the theme of your site all in one go, just using that method and using AI to brainstorm these keywords and, and dodge your competition. So that's an approach that doesn't feel as bad because these keywords quite often will have almost no competition or sometimes not even content written about it. So even if your AI content is average, because there's so little in front of it, like against it, it's like you have a shot at actually ranking. Whereas like if you take a competitive keyword, that on the page that has been collecting lots of links from your competitors and you try to write a random one-click AI keyword, AI article, sorry, you will probably not rank unless you put a significant amount of effort into editing this article. So just going off a little bit of a tangent here, but what's your current thoughts on how Google views AI content? Because we, we've seen sort of mixed messaging around here, right? They've changed things again with this uh, helpful content update, right? So this helpful content update, they've changed their guidance to remove any mention of like AI content is not useful, basically. So it's like they are relaxing that quite a lot. They're basically falling back into their ambiguous self, you know. <laughs> they went from like all AI content spam to like depends. And it's like up to you. And, and it's like, let's talk about that. Like one thing that I was but thinking. I, I actually think that's a it's a bit of a it's dangerous a trap, scenario for it's a trap. Yeah, it is a trap. <laughs> because it's giving the green light to people to say, okay, let's let's go full ham on on AI content. However, if you're not really paying attention to how helpful is it, how useful is it, how much value does the content really have when you read it in detail, then you're maybe more likely to fall foul of It's not just that, it's much content. worse even. The problem with Google is that with one version of Google, they'll reward you for doing something, right? They'll like be like, they'll give you a ton of traffic for generating. So for example, like, I'm just going to fucking throw stuff in a podcast <laughs> too bad. Uh, for example, 
StarterStory.com gets lots of traffic. It's like, it's, they're not kind of a direct competitor of us, but they're like kind of like a distant competitor, I would say. And they get lots of traffic for ranking for like business names. So they rank for like hairstylist business name idea, for example. And then it's generated by ChatGPT. There's like a thousand random names of hairstylist hair salons that you could use. And then they rank for that. They rank very well. I, don't, I haven't checked with this update, but they have ranked historically very well. But the problem is like something like that today, Google will give you a ton of traffic. So you'll be like, oh, Google is telling me it's great. Let me do more of this on my website. And then they release an update, be like, no, it's terrible. And bam, your whole size is going to tank like crazy. And so it's almost like sometimes if you want to play, if you want longevity in this game, you need to almost say no to the easy wins because you know it's bad, but Google doesn't know yet that it's bad or like hasn't built that into the algorithm. And so like a lot of people get essentially fucked up by that because they get rewarded by Google that gives them positive reinforcement on like, if you do more of this, you'll get more traffic. And then and they go all in like, on that. And actually, then, no, yeah. that's terrible. You're a terrible person. You've made unhelpful content. Fuck you. And then they just kill your site. And so, and so like, that's the problem with Google. It's like, it's webmasters just don't know what to do because they give you such mixed signals between two updates. And so that's the thing. It's like sometimes when something feels like too easy or feels like it should not rank, I mean, it really depends on your strategy, but you need to know that if you're getting the super highs, you're gonna get the you you potentially will get the super lows later for taking advantage of that. So it's like, do you want to gamble that? Do you for the price of that win? Do you want to like take the chance of that of that that way down after and and struggling going back up? Or do you want to take a more sustainable approach where maybe your growth is going to be quite a bit slower, but then like when the update comes, you know your site's not shit, and Google is unlikely to change their mind. And and again. Seems like Google is making lots of real decisions these days. So it's like, uh, I'm not saying that's exactly how it works, but like definitely like this mechanic happens quite a lot to a lot of people. Again, that's a trap of AI, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm generating all these business name ideas with AI. Literally, let's just chat GPT, brainstorm me any business type that I could generate a blog post for. Generate me the blog post, bam, 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 thousand pages on my website, plus 10,000% traffic. And then one day they just they just hate you, you know, because they think that your site is just a bunch of crap. And uh, I mean, I think I do think it's fine to really explore those. And uh, you know, there's that saying, "When the sun shines, make hay." I but mean, yeah, as long as, as, that, as yeah. long as you don't get stop doing all the the longer term plays uh, that are going to be more sustainable at the same time. If you just do this stuff, then it it seems more skating on thin ice. Uh, but the thing is, like, quite often you're like, you know, you have a team of writers, you have a team of editors, and if you put them on that, they, they don't do the other stuff, you know? And so, like, that's what happens to a lot of people. They're just like, oh, my God, this is, like, way better. Why am I doing the other stuff that's so slow growth? And then you just bias your site in that direction. So it's like, it depends what you want. Do you want a all or nothing, or do you want to do you want slow, steady growth, you know? But yeah, so that's definitely a tangent, by the way. But that's, a, that's interesting because it's like, yeah, that's a huge problem with Google. The problem with Google is like overnight, they change their mind. They love something, then they hate it. Then they love it, then they hate it. It's like worse than a crazy girlfriend. It's, it's dangerous. Anyway, let's talk about on-page SEO now. Unless you want to say something else on keyword research. Nothing on keyword research <laughs> and nothing about crazy girlfriends. Yeah. So let's move on. <laughs> right. Okay, let's talk about on-page SEO and how use uh, AI for it. So I still use it quite a bit for that. And, uh, but like, it doesn't do all my on-page SEO. It's not like, oh, chat GPT, fix my on-page SEO, and then just give me stuff, etc. But it's actually a trick that I got from uh, Tony Hill on, uh, on Twitter that was pretty cool. It's using the code interpreter on ChatGPT. So you need the paid version, you need the ChatGPT Plus. I tried that on Cloud because you can also upload CSVs, but it's not smart. Like it's not very good with numbers. Cloud's good at writing, but not necessarily good at numbers. 
And what you do is you extract your pages level of like average ranking, keywords and CTR, etc. You upload that to ChatGPT. So the first thing that you do is you go on GSC and you download your data for on the page level, basically. So you get the URL, you get the average ranking, you get all of that. And you want to add the title tags to that. So I actually use the tool made by Buzzstream called the meta tag extractor for that. It's like you basically can just paste the same list of URLs that you've extracted from GSC and it will just extract the, the meta titles for you and you can just basically add them to your CSV. Then uh, I did a VLOOKUP to actually attribute the right title tag to the right URL. And then I uploaded that to ChatGPT, right? And then you ask ChatGPT to, to identify the top 10% of the URLs with the higher click-through rate against their ranking. So it, like, it starts to learn like, what makes a good title tag, basically. And so make an analysis of that, basically. And then after that, you ask it to analyze your lowest CTR title tags against the rankings so that it finds the lowest stuff and then make suggestions to rewrite the title tags based on the best title tags. And so it does a pretty good job at that. It gives you, uh, the problem is like it tends to like come up with one formula and repeat it again and again. So it doesn't, it's not always something to use, but even just to extract like the title tags to work on, etc., so that you can increase your CTR, it's pretty handy and it can analyze all that data for you. So like as a, a low level data analyst, Code interpreter and chat GPT is actually pretty handy. I've done that for like Facebook ads, for example, as well, uh, where I'm like, okay, what's our best ads? What's our best creative? What's all of that based on conversions? And it, instead of you having to dig through the Excel spreadsheets through like many campaigns, etc., you can just do all of it for you. So for that, I think it's it's pretty handy and, and I quite like it. And I actually want to explore a bit more because I think there's more uses to that, to the code interpreter for SEO, actually. Have you used it? No, not at all. That's one thing that feels like a little bit better. Another thing that I like to use it for is for information gap. But for this, I use Bing, actually. I use, to be exact, I use Edge. So I use Edge because Edge, Edge is a browser. It's the Microsoft browser. If you have Windows, you have that. It's actually a good browser. It's better than Chrome. If you're using Chrome, you probably should use Edge. It's exactly Chrome in terms of the backend. So it uses less RAM and less battery. So if you're on a laptop, it's quite nice. But it has a little Bing kind of like tab that you open on the sidebar that allows Bing chat to read the page you're on, use the content of the page, but also search the web and manipulate all of that. And one thing that I like to use it for is for content gaps. So what I like to do is like, I, I took an example, which is like how to start affiliate marketing on Autoy Hacker. Um, and then I basically said, act as an SEO expert, the page opened in my website. I'm trying to rank high on Google for this keyword, how to start, how to start affiliate marketing with no money. One of the biggest ranking factors is to be the most comprehensive resource on the topic. So I want you to analyze the pages competing with this page by searching for the keyword and checking for the URLs provided. Prepare a report of the information you found on the competing pages that can't be found on ours. So I can update the content. The output should be presented as a table with the name of the fact, a short description, and where you found it. And so essentially, Bing reads your page, then searches the keyword you gave it, like in this case, how to start affair with, uh, with no money, and also checks the URLs, like I gave it the URL at the end of the prompt, and it's like it basically gives you a list of things that may be found on either top ranking results on Bing, in this case, not on Google, because it is Bing, uh, or on the URLs that you've provided, and suggest that you add them. Now, the problem is it hallucinates a bit sometimes. So not all of this is correct, which is why I ask it to give me the URL where it found it, because it allows me to quickly search for it. Like click on the link. If you see the screenshot, there are links. I could click on it, check that it's true or not. And so that is pretty handy. It allows you to do quick info gaps analysis without having to necessarily go through all of it, or just to like kind of like tells you where to zoom in into the competitor's article 
so that you don't have to go through like seven pieces of content or something like this. So that is, I think, pretty handy, but you need that specific setup on Edge with Bing, etc., because it needs to read the content of your page, it needs to open URLs, it needs to do all that stuff that it wouldn't do. I think uh, Bing would be great if they just changed the name so people didn't associate <laughs> it with Bing. Bing, just call it something mm -hmm. else. Honestly, the biggest fail, Bing's pretty cool. Their biggest fail is to call it Bing, honestly. However, uh, Bard is getting quite good as well. I've been playing out with it uh, recently, so now it connects to your Gmail, your Google Drive, Google Maps as well, etc. Google Flights. So I was trying some crazy queries. Like I was, for example, trying, like I was play, I was booking my flights for Thailand. I was booking like a flight from Bangkok to Chiang Mai or something. And it's like, I wanted to see how far I could go. So I was like, oh, I want to fly from Bangkok to Chiang Mai on this date. I don't want to fly Boeing and I want above average leg room. Uh, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and it gave me a list of the flights that match that actually with the links to do, Google do, flights directly. Do you have an irrational fear of the 737 max? Or no, I don't care. It just was the first thing that came to my mind. It's like, I took uh, it when I came back from your place the other day. So it's just like, an experiment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, but like just to see if you would filter it out, like, because on Google place, you see the, 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 um, aircraft, yeah. the aircraft. So it's like, actually, something I can quickly verify if it bullshits me or not. However, it, it is limited, so I try to make it plan a five-day road trip. It does a two-day road trip, which is like kind of okay, but like five days, it just literally doesn't answer to you. So still limited a little bit into knowledge, but still Bing is more familiar because it's more like ChatGPT, etc. So I quite like it. And for the info gap, I think it's, it's pretty handy and pretty fast. So if you want to audit a page quickly, uh, use this prompt. We'll throw it on the show notes, basically. So now we're going to talk about content creation and content outline and how we use AI for that. But before that, a quick word about our sponsor, Otis.Global. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could start a website today and rank on top of Google for lucrative keywords just a few months from now, completely skipping the sandbox? That's what we've done with our latest six-figure exit. It was started on an edge domain and it started to rank for big keywords just a few weeks after we put it online, allowing us to completely skip that one year period where your new sites don't really rank for anything. And that's exactly what you can achieve with Audis.Global, the marketplace where you can buy and sell edge domains. All the domains you find there have not dropped, which means they're unlikely to have their link profile reset by Google. The domains are also strictly vetted by the Audis team so you don't have low quality or spammy URLs in there. Plus, you can even connect with a mentor that will help you pick the perfect domain for your next project. So if you're interested, head over to audis.global, click on the Get Started button, fill the form, and you're just minutes away from being able to buy some of the best age domains on the internet. And now, back to the episode. All right, now let's talk about content outlines because that's something that I still use AI for a little bit. But I don't think I do it like everyone else because I think I spend a lot more time on outlines. And the people who have seen the AI blueprint in H Pro will know that because like the, like there's a whole module on like basically using AI to assist you with content creation. But I would say half of the module is like outlines and structure, which is like a lot more than most people would spend on that because that's kind of like where AI content fails is it tends to not go in depth usually, like it stays very surface level about every subtopic. And so you need to kind of like help it do better. So the way I do that is actually make it create an, a super outline. That's what I call a super outline. And the super outline is me grabbing all the H2s, H3s, H4 of the top three, four best pages on the topic that are ranking pretty well. And then have ChatGPT actually create a mega outline from that, that essentially combines all of that so that I have all this information. I take that and I just put it in my node system. 
Then I go to Bing again. The reason I go to Bing is because it can connect to the internet. I can do all that. I have a prompt. This prompt I'm not going to give. It's going to be in the AI blueprint. So if you actually join uh, Hacker Pro during the current launch, uh, you get access to that. But basically, Bing generates a full outline of what it thinks is the best for that. But it's quite often missing quite a bit from the, my super outline from my competitors, from their H2s, et cetera. So what I do is then I, I look at what Bing gave me and it does like, it does a pretty in-depth outline, right? It's not like, it gives me usually H2s, H3s and bullet points of what should be in each section. But it's gonna miss like maybe a third to 40% of like what should normally be there for search intent. So I'm actually gonna reply to it. I'll be like, hey, I want you to add this section, this section and this section because it's not in there. Or like sometimes, you can even paste your super outline and be like, okay, add the sections that are missing in your outline so that you kind of like feedback the search intent that it doesn't necessarily get as a pure AI. And then I have like lots of prompts where I can make it kind of like expand on some section and or reduce some, do that. Basically, I, I took, I work with the AI to kind of like edit the outline for quite a bit. And eventually when I have that, then I take it and I still edit it manually after that. So I take the output, the final output, I usually throw it in Notion and then it's like, additional research, additional like expertise, like plugin expertise from people, from things like that, et cetera. What percentage of the total time spent on making that outline is you doing kind of manual work and research and what percentage are you using AI for? I mean, it depends how much research you do, right? It will vary. You will spend more time doing research than the AI is because the AI output is fast. It's like the AI output, it's kind of like fixed. And then the research is like, as far as you want to go. But what I can tell you is that the article I write in the blueprint ranks number one for many keywords right now. Like the, the blueprint is like me writing a whole article from start to finish and it's like posting it at the end and be like, let's see how it does. And I, what I can tell you is this article is ranking really well right now. It's very much in line with like the rest of our editorial stuff, but it was produced. It's more like a 30 to 50% productivity gain thing rather than like a one-click article generating thing. We have more sections after that. We have GPT for writing the article. Then we have GPT for editing itself. <laughs> and then we have the human editing after, basically. That's kind of like the full steps that we have in there. And for each step, we have like multiple prompts and, and, and backs and forth with the AI. Yeah, I would say it's like a, this process is a, is a 30 to 50% productivity gain. For someone who, especially the more you know the topic, the more of a productivity gain it is, I think. Because if I make it right about something I know, it's very quick for me to edit on the fly. Like, I don't even need to research, I know. And so in that aspect, if you're an expert, you can output quite a bit more content. And it's just like, you know, it's tedious to start from a blank page to do a content outline, but if you have like an AI one and you're just like, oh no, let's take, take this off, whatever, etc. And you also have the AI generate like the super outline from your competitors, like that makes things quite a bit faster in terms of structuring. So it's hard to tell, but yeah, I'd say 30 to 50% time gain on this, basically. So that's the process that I'm comfortable with in terms of creating content with AI. And that's the process I've followed, gotten good rankings on Google, basically. One-click article generators, I've tried all of them. They can be okay if you edit them heavily, but the thing is like, it's not less time if you edit it heavily. It's like, you know what I mean? It doesn't take, le it, it's like, it, there's really no time save compared to this because the thing is with, a, with this process is that you get into the topic, right? Because you have to go harness the headlines from the competitors. And so you're checking the pages as you do that, right? So you're catching up. 
You're like, oh, they're doing this. Oh, they're doing that, etc. So as you're gathering this information in your brain, you're not cold when you get to editing the article. Whereas when you have a one-click AI generator, you're cold. You haven't researched the topic. You haven't done anything. You don't know what's ranking. You, you know, the tools done everything for you, which means you are unable to make any good decision on what's going to make you rank higher as an SEO person. And so that catch-up process, essentially, kills the the time gain of one-click article generators, in my opinion. Do you think that? one-click article generators are misleading people in their marketing? I mean, my opinion is like, I mean, they're exaggerating, I think. They deliver on what they promised that they, they would do, right? The problem is like, is that a good thing? It's like, yes, you can get an article that's kind of related to what's ranking on top of Google, etc. But the thing is like, these things, I mean, you can rank for low competition keywords. We tend to not compete on low competition keywords. Like the stuff we do SEO for these days is like has competition. And so I'm a bit biased by that. I think if you go for like stuff with no competition, yeah, you can probably rank with AI content, not caring, et cetera. But it's not necessarily something I'm, I'm super excited for. Excited to, I, I don't think it's that good of an idea to go for like low competition keywords, just pure spray and pray, build massive sites with thousands of pages that are low quality. That's There's, the kind of stuff that scares me with updates, you know? There I've, was something of an exception to this. So every couple of weeks in Authority Hacker Pro Platinum, we have like a, a call on like a different topic and the last one we had was about AI and there are a couple people on there who are big into programmatic SEO and they're big big into doing uh, AI content creation at scale uh, targeting not just low but sort of medium and sometimes slightly higher competition keywords as, as well but they weren't using any of these tools they had I think it was like 20 developers yeah, yeah. Uh, plus like a bunch scale. of data scientists and a really sizable team of smart, smart people with a lot of tech and a lot of funding behind them just to make, you know, one article which was good enough to compete on a sort of medium level. But that's what tells um, me like the people that try to compete with like the retail one-click article generators, they have they don't have much chance, you know, because it's like the, the control they have over the content is so much lower than like someone who builds that custom solution. And so like it just feels like these low competition keywords are not going to be solo competition at some point when these people scale that up. What's hard to scale in a way protects you. And so that's why personally, when I build sites these days, I prefer building smaller sites with high quality pages because it's like you can't, it's hard to automate and, and it requires talent <laughs> and talent is hard to get. And it's also like, it's going to be hard to emulate by AI. So like for all these reasons, it's like this pray and pray approach with like low com keywords. It's like, yeah, it, it can work. But it's also the kind of stuff that would make me sweat when Google announces an update, for example. The people who are succeeding with this and will succeed with this long term, uh, that's a keyword, are the people taking that scale, that approach with data scientists, with big teams of people to make it work. I don't think there are too many retail, as you said, people using retail off the shelf one click article generators that are going to have sites doing particularly well in, in the long run. Like it's SEO. Quite often, you know, we've seen this movie before, it becomes a bit of a race to the bottom as soon as any new technology or tool is around there. So if you can do it really easily, what's to stop a million other people doing it really easily as well? And then you're in this kind of race to the bottom and it just, it goes to shit and you'll all get penalized eventually. I know we'll get shit for this 
in the comments anytime anyone's critical on Facebook groups or anywhere about AI. There's always someone that's like, oh, you they just don't, don't know understand how to use how to it. Use it for, <laughs> they don't yeah. know the prompts, that's why. It's like, yeah, I've seen that before. It's, I think I did a tweet. I think I did a tweet as I, I said, uh, oh, the people who insist on using AI for everything today are the same people who told you that crypto is going to replace all fiat currency two years ago. <laughs> and people screenshotted that on Facebook groups and like, oh, he doesn't know how to prompt, that's why. Except I was like, okay, fine. And it's like, I'm not saying you can't get any success with it. I'm just saying like, is that success is going to last? Are you building an asset that is desirable for a buyer to buy, for example, these kind of things, right? Because uh, that's also a problem, right? When you talk to Justin, he was like, well, yeah, AI content, it's not as liked as like high quality stuff, basically. And that's going to affect the resale price. So it's like, again, like if you struggle monetizing or if, if your goal is an exit, like these things matter, for example. And that's not to say that there aren't people doing the rank and tank approach oh, and works, making yeah. good money in the short term and then going again and again and uh, again. It's not my style anymore. I like tight, small sites with high quality pages. Like when we work with our editorial team, I, I like to say that, like I talk about the average content quality. So it's like, take a rent, like if Google was taking a random page on the site, what would the quality score be on a scale of one to 10 basically? And so it's like, now we're pruning a lot of content. We like revamp a lot of stuff, redirect a lot of old pages to new ones, things like that. Build smaller sites, but but tighter ones. That's, I mean, it's, it's a different approach, but I like it personally. Anyway, we are also going a bit away. Another thing that I like to do in terms of using Bing for content creation is I like to use it for creating the FAQ section. I think it does a good job because you can have it read your article. So you can publish your article, then you open the Bing sidebar. I like to take the questions myself from like people also ask, et cetera, for like related queries and be like, hey, generate an FAQ, uh, write in an NLP friendly way, uh, concise information rich answers for the page. And then here's the question. Here's like five questions or something. And that copy tends to need very little edits and work very well. And we've used that several times and we've done even A-B testing with and without this. And I know Google doesn't show FAQ anymore in the subs, like they've removed it, but it doesn't mean it's not a good thing for your page, like in terms of like covering the information you need to cover. And it's also a very easy way to update your content FAQs. And so like, that's why I love FAQ still, because it's like, I don't really care for the FAQ schema. It's okay, but whatever. What matters to me is that if I need to bump the freshness of a page, I can just add some FAQ questions and then bam, I can just bump up my rankings versus having to rework the core of the article, which takes a lot more effort. And you can even bump your freshness with FAQ generated by AI. That's like, this I'm comfortable doing. Like this works quite well and I'm, I'm quite comfortable doing it and I wouldn't mind. So FAQ sections, yeah, definitely generate them with AI. That saves you a lot of time. It saves you money on paying writers as well. Instead of uh, paying an extra four, 500 words to your writers, just have AI generate it based on the article they have written and the questions you give. We generate key takeaways boxes as well. So like, you know, if you want to give, we don't do that on every article, but sometimes we give like three, four bullet points or like here's what you find in this article or key information, stuff like that. Uh, the prompt that I use is generate a copy for a key takeaway box below the intro. The box should have three to five easy to read bullets that share the main point of the post and focus on actionable bits. And that gave me pretty good results. We've done that on quite a few articles actually recently. And again, we've done an A-B test on that and we've seen increase in ranking by putting these key takeaway boxes on top of articles. So for us, it's like we, when we win an A-B test, we just roll it out basically. Uh, these are the kind of prompts you find, by the way, in the new prompt library in uh, HPro. So if you go in HPro, I think there's, there's quite a bit, like we have, a, we put some screenshots or so, some bureaus I'm talking, but there are a lot of these things that are inside the HPro actually. And we've also split out our other templates in AHPro. So there's now a copy-paste template library. We've got a content template library as well as a new generate blocks design library. So if you're using generate blocks, 
then you can actually import a number of elements that are particularly suited to affiliate sites directly into your site and just get all that going really, really fast as well. Plus for H Pro Platinum members, we have our SOP library in there as well. So lots of libraries. I like the general blocks a lot. It's kind of killer when you make a new site and you have like all the affiliate widgets, all that stuff like pre-made for you, optimized for mobile, etc. It saves a lot of time actually. And general blocks is a free plugin and it doesn't slow down your website, which is why we chose to build these things in there. You can even run it in parallel with some other Gutenberg plugins and your site speed should still be pretty good. Another thing that we use AI for in terms of content creation is actually in terms of the research. And it's something that I've mentioned one or two times before, but I think it's maybe some people have missed it, is using Cloud2 and Mac Whisper. So Mac Whisper is basically just a transcribing tool. It's only on Mac, but there is a tutorial for Windows. I think we put it in the, show, in the description on YouTube if you guys want that. You can run it on Windows, it's a bit more hacky, but you can do that. It's a, an API from OpenAI that will transcribe anything, basically. And you don't pay credits for it. It just runs on your computer, uses your CPU, so you might hear your, spa, your fans spin a bit, but other than that, uh, you won't pay for it once you use it. And so what I throw in there is I throw podcasts and I throw YouTube videos. Why? Because these pieces of content on, on YouTube and on podcasts, they tend to be a lot more authentic. They tend to be more by experts, etc. And they allow you to create an information gap with what's ranking on Google. Because quite often, like, if you want to actually make a better page than what's ranking on Google, you need to find information outside of Google, obviously. Otherwise, it's already there. And so that's why I like to take these things, transcribe them, and then feed the transcript to cloud.ai. Why I don't feed it into ChatGPT is because of the cloud.ai has a much larger context size, so it can take a really big transcript and extract information from that. So for example, and I have a YouTube video that came back came out recently that actually show you how to do that. I think the example I take in there is like nothing personal, how to get rid of double chin. I don't think I'm too bad. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but uh, it's like I take that and I just take a YouTube video, but then I take like a doctor that talks about that and extract the information with like the tactics people can use and show that essentially these tactics are not present on Google. So I can match the search intent and add that extra information that is found in the YouTube video therefore creating an objectively better page with advice coming from an expert. And I don't need to watch all the videos, I just have Claude just research that for me based on the transcript that I feed it into it. And that's really, really handy. It's a really powerful content research process. I think you've been using it as well, right? Like, how did it go for you? It's been really good for specifically for researching podcasts, for interviewing podcast guests. You can download or get transcripts rather for a number of interviews that the guest has, has been on previously. And then you can upload that to Claude and just start asking questions like, what contradictions has this guest had? Or what questions haven't they been asked that could be interesting? Or what, what, difficult, questions, <laughs> what difficult questions can I ask this guest? And about half of the stuff is, is good and is useful, will at least give you an idea of something to, to come up with. Not The questions that it gives aren't always great, but it gives you an idea to then you know, drill into something a little bit further. But there's also a bunch of stuff that it just makes up as well. So you have to be really careful. I was interviewing Justin on from Empire Flippers on the, the podcast uh, recently. It came up with some stuff about employee issues at Empire Flippers and like, you know, them getting canceled or something like that. And just I haven't found anything about that online that's that's ever happened. So as far I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm sure that AI just completely made it up. So it would have been a bit weird or embarrassing had I asked that question. So you've always got to apply your own. The way I fight that is I ask for the exact quote they use to mention the fact. And then I command F search for the quote in the transcript. Therefore you have a quick way of checking. 
So you you say, hey, I've heard I've heard people also ask for like a, a to give like a confidence score about how accurate each statement. Yeah, but that can be made up too. Well. The quote, yeah. like you can hard verify. Just have your text file opened, copy the answer of the quote, and then like paste it into the your search thing, and then see if it comes up or not. Basically, I was actually talking to someone the other day who was writing an essay for in like a academic situation using ChatGPT, and uh, they had something similar come up. It was making up quotes making up situations so when they went right uh, down and checked everything and then asked it where did you get this quote from it came up with oh i just wanted to give you an example or something like that actually there's a lawyer that used ChatGPT for a case and then just uh, quoted the fake case that it came up with <laughs> and it's like and looked like an idiot and in court so that was uh yeah just verify all ais do that like it's it's not uh, there's no model and that's why Relying on one-click article generators without checking is very dangerous because the truth is I don't care what people say on Twitter. People don't fact check to the level they should fact check. If you get like it's, it takes a very long time to to fact check a full written article if you really want to check it. And so, given the volume of content these people brag about posting, it's technically impossible that they properly fact check it basically. And so, like that's the kind of stuff that can potentially hammer you eventually. So it's like. It's a bit dangerous. And that's another reason why one-click article generators are a bit limited, even though they give you an article. But we've been using AI a little bit for link building as well, right? A little bit, yeah. And I think there are a lot of opportunities to use it depending on what type of link building you're doing. It hasn't been as useful as I, I thought it would, but that's not always uh, AI's fault. Uh, so I'm going to talk about a few different cases here. If you're doing any kind of like shotgun outreach where you have a template you're you're blasting that template out to a lot of people it can be very beneficial to refresh that template to up that update that template very regularly so that it doesn't appear that there's any kind of you know patterns coming out of sending the same email to thousands of thousands of people so you can use ai to come up with a, a better outreach template and the way we've done it typically is to give it some context as to, to who you are and what you're trying to do. If you just ask it for something simple like write a, an email outreach to ask for a guest post, then I guess a lot of the context it has is these kind of generic, dear sir, I would like to request a permission to do a guest post and you know, very generic, shitty guest post outreach messages. So at least when we're using uh, GPT-4, it often came back with a similar sounding message. You're like, this is crap. Like, no one would ever, ever do it. So you have to be really specific and saying, don't write like a standard guest post outreach message. Be unique, be catchy, come up with something that will hook the attention and keep it short. Those are the really the, the main things there. If you're doing this for sniper outreach, it does offer uh, a lot of potential, I think. Uh, but again, you have to do your research on the recipient so you can't just get it to personalize something if you, if you don't have any information on that person. And you generally need to do manual research in order to get that. So this is something we cover a lot in the Sniper Link Building Blueprint in Age Pro. But basically, we spend a lot of time cyber stalking the people we're going to be emailing. So looking at their personal websites, their LinkedIn page, any, so, any public social media, just to get an idea of, do they like cats? What's their favorite sports team? All these kind of things that you can hook something hook an idea onto. And if you lead in with something like that, then it's it's gonna, gonna generally perform a lot better. So in terms of a, a prompt for that, we'd have something along the lines of a place to paste 
all of that research that we've done. So like, here's the research I've done on this person, write an outreach email that's short to the point and captures their attention, should be professional, smart, funny, and personalized, avoid fluffy sentences without purpose or overly flattering phrases. And then the way we structure it is we wanted to write the subject line, uh, generally something short and catchy, but relevant to the subject, relevant to the person you're, you're outreaching to. How many times have you got a, a message guest post inquiry? Like, would you ever open something like that? But if it's, it's pretty like, much market uh, spam directly now, so I can but, but if it, but if it's something like uh, Gail, that panda sitting behind you looks cool. Just looking at that over there right now, or your Gail, your fear of seven three seven maxes is irrational. <laughs> then you're probably going to open it if you have that, that that kind of context. I just checked my inbox. It says stressed out Gail question mark. That's the best one I can see right now. And then the other aspects you're looking for are personalization. So make sure it's in your prompt. You ask it to use the recipient's first name. Mention something super specific about their work from the context that you've given it. Introduce yourself and why you're reaching out keep it short, what the purpose of the email is. This is like your because statement. Everyone wants to know who is this person making these amazing jokes in my inbox and what do they want? And then what's the value proposition? So what's in it for them? And this can be a little bit difficult for uh, AI to, to come up with something kind it's of unique. It's not that funny. It's more, Honestly, AI is sometimes it struggles with humor. It's like, it's, it's like... So generally we answer, ask it to come up with like a, a few different subject lines when we're doing it. And Honestly, about one out of five is either funny or has like the seed of a, something funny that you can develop a, a little bit further. I think I generally think it's really strong at doing this if you're just starting from blank. If you already have a template that you just want to modify a little bit, eh, I mean, it's not, not that big of a deal. But if you're like, oh, I need to do another round of outreach for this new client or for this new website, then I mean, it's really hard to, to just start with nothing and come up with it. So it's, it's helpful, helpful there. And then, yeah, call to action at the end, we ask for and keep it smart and funny using words like light, light touch of humor, or keep it witty in the prompt as well. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's good. It comes up GPT-4 comes GPT-3.5. Eh, yeah, it's it's not so good. GPT-4 is really, really good at coming up with this stuff like this. Like the first time you, you, you put it, a prompt like this through there, you're like, wow, this is better than 85, 90% of link builders would be able to do and let's be honest the bar out there for the whole link building community is is not super high uh but this is this is certainly um just, improving just be a things. little careful we almost got cancelled by mom bloggers now if link builders start cancelling us we're in trouble so one other interesting use of ai in link building which you gail actually suggested like two or three years ago now is haro Haro obviously help a reporter out where they send you a daily email with a hundred or so questions from journalists and big publications. You can respond. If the journalist likes your response, they'll feature you and usually link to you as well. So AI is quite good at answering questions. So why not just have AI answer all these questions automatically and then maybe you can get some links? Well, you could absolutely do that. And I want to be careful here because I don't want Haro to go to shit because everybody's just spamming it with AI answers. That's maybe starting to happen a little bit already. I think it's most, already happening. Most queries on Haro, though, they have requirements. So you need to be a vet or a pilot or a doctor or something, some kind of expert in your in your field. However, there are a significant number of queries every day where you just need to be 
a business owner, someone who works from home, someone who has an opinion about Kim Kardashian. You don't need to be the expert in order to, to, to respond to the query. And Harold is actually really good at responding to those queries. So I'll give you an example. There was one recently, which was about something about cat food. And it was like, you have to, we, the requirement is to be a vet or a cat professional. Now, cat professionals are very broad thing you know you if you have a cat blog i was gonna you do say that for work and you videos. make money from it if you edit cat videos if you watch cat <laughs> videos on youtube does that make you a cat professional i don't know uh, i think professional I you'd make money from it right it's like i think that's the that's the yeah the requirement well, i mean cat videos can make money from, i know from if you make well, money so. from cat videos is you're professional anyway you can answer some of these questions realistically using AI, as long as you're able to kind of fudge your way through the credentials part of it, either because you have someone on your team who is that, you are that, or they're not asking for super specific cred credentials in, in, that, in that case. So anyway, to do this on Harrow, you literally copy and paste the, the full Harrow question with all the context, and then you, you paste it into ChatGPT and you would write something along the lines of write an email response to journalist Harrow query below based on the provided information that's where you paste it in. You give them, you put your information. So this will be like a standard thing. I am Mark, the founder of Cats, whatever website and all that stuff. And then the key elements to include in the Harrow, Harrow response. So a subject line, often the, the Harrow message will define one. So you could ask it to, to do that if that's if that's requested or just use the same subject line that's in the the Harrow query personalization so use the journalist first name introduction so who you are in two sentences no more got to keep it short to to get these these hours remember journalists are getting now hundreds of responses from people using ai to do this so your ai one better stand out and then chat gpt is going to come up with the the response i think the one i was looking at the other day was can cats eat bacon, which is fairly simple. But when we put the, the prompt through it, it also, it also found some other things that cats couldn't eat, some, some common things like avocado, and there's was, there was another one as well. And then importantly, what your value proposition is. So after the main answer, you know, explain, and you put this in the prompt, what extra value you can bring to the, the the journalist so that could be i know lots of other things that cats can't eat i'm happy to comment on on those and it it'll often come up with suggestions or ways to offer value in the response that the ai bring, brings back and that's a really good thing when you're doing a harrow query to establish yourself as that that kind of expert so yeah that's uh that's generally how you can use ai to respond to lots and lots of harrow queries the crazy part do is i recommend do I recommend doing this for all, all of them and spamming the shit out of it? Probably not. Uh, but you can definitely save some time uh, by, by doing this. Yeah, I was going to say the crazy part is like you can zap here the whole thing and like literally you could automate all of Haro without ever looking at it. And that's, that's one of the things. Because one of these things though, you would never really want to do that. I, f I feel like they probably ban you quite quickly if you're responding to all of them with shit answers. Remember, it's not just about sending the answer. It's about it's sending about the best answer. Up, yeah. You have to be one of the best. Unless you're in a mega roundup with 95 other people, which is not that all that not common, link. then you need to have the best answer. So you would want, if you are setting up a zap to do it, you would want it to draft it, and then you'd have you or your link builder go through, read it, and maybe adjust it to improve it. It can be a good start, but check it before you send it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's gonna be there's gonna be that, and it's gonna be credential checking eventually. If people abuse it, like journalists are gonna there's gonna be a way to check the credentials basically. 
like send me your LinkedIn profile or something like simple like that. I think it's going to happen. But yeah, it's like, that's the thing. Zapier is also like a pretty powerful way of kind of like automating AI, etc. I use it personally to curate content for me. For example, I don't have time, like I, for Atari Hacker, I like to keep on top of like people doing case studies, etc. and knowing what's going on, just because like that keeps us sharp and that keeps us thinking about stuff. But like, I don't necessarily have time to read all the Reddit posts, to read all the Twitter threads and everything, etc. So one thing I use AI for actually is I, I created a Zap that essentially there's, I have like Twitter lists, for example, I have specific subreddits, etc. And every time there's a new post that gets above a certain number of likes usually, so or like votes up on Reddit, for example, it's sent to the AI that reads the thread. And then it's like, I'm like, hey, I'm looking for content that includes real life case studies, real life results, screenshots, like things like that, like things that I'm looking for in the post. Basically, the AI just say yes or no. Basically, it reads the post, it says, yes, this is what you're looking for, or no, it's not what you're looking for. If it says yes, it adds it to a database in Notion, so I get to kind of like consume content in a curated way inside Notion without having to log into a million things and, and knowing what's going and without having to follow all these things manually. And so in terms of curation, I think it's a, it's a pretty handy thing to do and, and that's where automations can help you quite a bit. I also I have a video on automations. I think we can put it out here if you guys want to check it out where I talk about how, to, how we use Zapier and AI to automate a lot of tasks. So check it out. But another thing that we use AI for is actually for social media. And we use it especially for shorts, actually. So if you've checked the shorts on our YouTube channel, which are which tend to be just shorts from the podcast, they are all generated by AI, actually. And we use a tool called Opus Pro that basically transcribes the podcast. And we give it a version of the podcast that's unedited. So you basically have our faces side by side. So it gets to crop which face it wants, depending on who's talking. Then it transcribes the video. And it, I don't know how they do that, but they come up with pretty good shots. Like, like when we put a podcast, we get like 15, 20, and it'd be like three to six of them will be decent and good enough to use. Like, again, it's like you need to kind of like curate it, et cetera. Uh, but the ones that we pick, they, they tend to be decent. Like we had several with several thousand views, et cetera. Like people like them and, and engage with them, et cetera. And we get to be active on like Instagram, on YouTube and on TikTok by just posting these without doing anything. And another thing, actually, is the, the first layer of editing, I don't know if Matt wants to do some crazy effect now when he's editing uh, editing the podcast, but we use a tool called Glink that cuts all our silences and cuts all our repetition. The repetitions are more useful in when we shoot real YouTube videos, when we repeat the same sentence like five times, etc. And it keeps the best one. And it gives the first cut to the video editor without having to go through the first 45 minutes of raw footage and, and just do the basic cut, basically, which a lot of video editors tend to outsource to cheaper video editors in the past. But now for $5 using Glink.com, uh, you can get that first cut pretty decent and then you can actually text edit the video. So you just see the transcript and you just keep the words that you want and you delete the ones you don't want and it just gives you the video file that you can then import into your video editing tool. So that's something that I think in, in a way these video things are more impressive than text content creation. And there's another tool also that I showed to the Platinum member the other day called ZipWP, right? This tool actually can create a whole website for you if you want, but it's usually for small businesses only, but I think it gives you a good glimpse of like what's coming in terms of site creation. These are templates, but basically it just generates the right pages, it generates the right copy at the right place, etc. based on a single prompt. You can check it out, maybe we'll put a quick clip of this on top so that you guys can see what it does, but like it's the first generation of AI WordPress site generation and it's 
not something I would use it for like a local business. I would not use it for, for an authority site at this point. I mean, I was, I was saying as well that I have created like local business sites. Looking at some of the competitors out there, they are bad, like really, really bad <laughs> the websites out there. And what Zip does is create something which is you would never want to really use it as your authority site if you're ranking for anything, com trying to rank for anything competitive. But if you're competing against shitty local sites, sorry guys, it's more than good enough, honestly. It's you're gonna be in like the top 25% of site designs out there if you if you use this on a, on any local term. Yeah. So it's like it's uh it's it's interesting. It's like it's something that I would if you do local SEO, you can use it now. If you do other sites, I would say we probably need one more generation of that to evolve before we consider using it. But it's 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 something that uh, I, I like to keep my eyes on. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Any other final words of wisdom, anything to add? No, I mean, just as evolving technology and it is useful just to keep playing around with it if you're not such a big fan of AI. I think there's a, a lot of use cases. I think the hype, to... the hype is down quite a bit now. It's like but even... this, is, this, is, this is what always happens when like something comes out. It's like, oh my God, this is going to change everything tomorrow. And then there's a big hype wave and then it doesn't. And then everyone's like, oh, well, that was useless. But then actually slowly over time, the actual effect and improvement, it's like it's very slow, very steady and consistent. And then a few years later, you're like, oh, wow, this is actually like doing a lot of cool stuff. And I think we're starting to see some legitimately cool things that, that it can do. And I'm excited to see where it, it can go. But I think the hype was so high that it, it can only feel disappointing now when we kind of like hit back to reality. But I like my AI assisted content creation process because I think that's where things will be for a while. Like, I think for a while, you like even with GPT-5, 6, maybe 7, you still need to work with it to get something decent. Most importantly, and I've said that, I think, in the first AI podcast we did, it's like raw output from AI models is valueless. Like, in a way, it's like anyone can generate it. If it takes a single prompt, generate an article about this. There's no point for any platform to want to send traffic to your site if that's what's on your site. When they can do it themselves, keep the traffic and make money with ads themselves. Like they don't need your site for that. And that's the thing. It's like you need to work on a value add process using AI rather than on just raw outputting content with the tool, which I think is the mistake a lot of people in this industry are making. And that's why we're seeing a lot of people falling in one camp of never using AI or trying to use AI for everything when I think the right thing is to be somewhere in the middle and incorporate it in processes that where it takes over easy tasks so that you have more time to add value, like create custom graphics, do more research, do new styles of content, create videos, whatever it is that you need to uh, essentially stand out from the competition and make your content appealing for content platforms so they won't send traffic to you because they couldn't just generate it in one click and it requires a little bit of talent. So that's kind of like my take on that. That's also the take that we have about AI in Autoria Hacker Pro. So it's not an all in automate everything with AI, but it's also now I think every single update we've released in the past year plus has had AI in there. Like, you know, the EEAT blueprint has a process to interview your writers to create the auto page for the auto page for them so that you can actually display their expertise, etc. So you ask them about their education, does all of that, etc. And then they answer these questions like someone would ask them on the chat and then bam, it just generates the copy you can copy paste on your site and it just highlights how they do things. It uses the right vocabulary for Google to understand all that stuff, etc. So we like to incorporate AI into classic 
content creation processes. And that's, that's essentially what you find if you check out AutoHacker Pro with this launch on autohacker.com slash pro. Okay, final words of wisdom, Mark? Nothing. No final words of wisdom. No, no. final words of wisdom. Go on AutoHacker Pro, autohacker.com slash pro. And we'll see you in two weeks for another episode where we are coming back with interviews. So see you then.